Welcome to Puzzling Company, your home for at-home puzzles and mysteries. Here are your hosts, Jared and Zach. All right, Zach, you got to hold me to this, but next episode, after our thematic intro, I'm going to try to recreate it with just me. Like, oh, yeah? Almost like beatboxing, but boop, 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 boop. Like, I'm, I'm going to give it a whirl to see if I can do all the sound effects, minus the, obviously, the really clean voiceover that I'm not capable of doing. I'm excited to hear the door as well. Yeah. And then the really loud thud. <laughs> I think I've got it. You know what? I'm so excited. <laughs> but welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company. We're just having a, a good old, what is it, Thursday, Wednesday? I don't even know what day it is here that we're it is recording. Thursday, yes. it's, it's been a week. It two, has. Uh, two weeks, I think it's safe to say. True. And we're just excited to be spending some time with y'all with the craziness of life going on. Today, we are talking about Unsolved, which is a cold case file game that you can actually pick up quite a few places. Amazon, I've seen it at Target. Mm-hmm. They are in quite a few places, so it's fun to tackle some more mass market things here. But yeah, hang on with us. We're excited to talk about this today. We'll be coming right back at you. Zach, I'm I'm so sorry to hear about the robbery at your house last night. Are you okay? I'm fine. But Jared, literally no one broke into my house last night. But I do feel a little upset because you did stand me up for game night. Okay. Your text literally reads, break in tonight, exclamation point. Jared, that's literally the name of the game. It's a really cool new concept where you're trying to solve puzzles to break into the game instead of out of it. All their games follow really cool narratives about real-life places. We really should have people check it out in our show notes to get details on where they can pick up this game. So it's called Break In? Yes, it's Breaking In, not Breaking Out. I'm sorry. It's okay. Welcome back, everybody, to Puzzling Company. As I mentioned before the break, we are talking about Unsolved today. Really, really cool game. We had a lot of fun diving into this. It is not unlike a lot of the other crime games that we have played so far. Lots of folders, information to tackle through. You're really working through the details. Feels very authentic. But the part of this where I want to start in this section, and for those of you that are new to the podcast, this section is always about Zach and I looking at the game, talking about what we felt what was really strong and what we felt like had a little room for improvement. But I would say... Zach, and I think you agree with me on this, in terms of like presentation, this is one of the stronger crime games that we have played. Agreed. I think the the material itself is really well done. And I think in a lot of the other games it has, has been pretty quality as well. But the difference I think is it actually comes in this envelope um, that I think is very well done and presents a really cool, like almost looks like it's been locked up for a while and you're reopening it. Uh, and gives you some like narrative stuff before you even start the game. Yeah, and I think that part of that is because it is sold on the mass market where as of the other crime games that we have covered so far, they're order only. I have not seen the other two or three or four that we've played in stores, but they just did a really good job of grabbing your attention. Mm -hmm. And everything that you go through in the game, just it feels like just a really tight, well-rounded marketing package here. Mm -hmm. I feel safe to say if I just saw this walking through a store, 
I would like walk past it and then I would be like, I got to see what's going on here. Well, it's the other part is that it gives you like, because they are like these cold cases that have been, you know, that are unsolved, you know, when you get it, you're reopening it. So it tells you like who sealed it, like which detective that was not able to solve it. It gives you dates. So, you know, when this happened in time, like we played two, um, we played the Ashcroft file um, and we played the, I think it's Falcone. That one is, yeah, the Veronica Falcone. Um, both were really great in two completely different time periods. One's 1947, which was Veronica Falcone's. And then the other one, I think, is like is mostly present day. It's like 1998. Yeah, around the 90s, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It felt really cool to have like this evidence folder that you get to purposely open up and try to go back and look into it. Yeah, it just, it was welcoming. Mm-hmm. And I think that's just a, a shout out to how they're doing their marketing because you want to be excited about what you're playing. You want to be excited. And this just landed really well when we were, because we look at all aspects of the game. And when you're presented with an opportunity like this, I think they cashed in on it really well. And Mm -hmm. I can see why so many people, tens of thousands of people have played these games. And right from the start, they set a really high standard. Mm -hmm. And in following with that, um, because this is, in our opinion, a pretty high standard game, they do something during the game that we have not experienced in other crime games or really in any other type of game that we play, Zach, but other games run on a different type of format, so that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. But they do something very interesting in their solving mechanic that we really enjoyed. Yeah, so what it does is um, you, and we've seen the, we've seen part of this in other games, um, you are trying to figure out pieces, you're given a lot of evidence a lot of evidence and you are trying to you get kind of a question asked to you of how to solve something um and this one it's kind of like okay what two pieces of information would help you kind of figure out what to do next um so when you you kind of get through and it gives you like you go to their website and you get a full list it gives you like every piece of information that's in the folder um you kind of look through all of it and you start making connections so you're like oh that's okay, this is interesting that there's this map here that tells me how, how much distance is between places and I found insert thing, right? A picture that might tell me some stuff. You make that connection, you go to the website and you get to pick the two items that you want and then you get to try to solve it and it will tell you if you did it correct or not. Now, the interesting part is if you are incorrect, it will tell you in a note underneath it, it will show you a picture of like the person kind of involved in the case or someone else involved. And we'll be like, uh, unfortunately, you didn't get it correct, but you pretend you got one of the two items correct. Uh, so it gives you like a partial answer saying like, hey, you are on the right track with one of these things, but you have to kind of figure out now which one it is. And for the amount of information that you're having to process and work through, I love that as a player. Because mm-hmm. now instead of having to go back through all of this, I can look at the maybe the two things that I've submitted and say, okay, let's assume this is what we have right now mm-hmm. we can limit the information. Like it was just super helpful as a player. Yeah. And then the other part is if you wanted more help, they do have it. They offer a, a kind of hint system that you can press for more help. And it gives you basically, it kind of starts pointing you in directions of certain material that you should look at. Um, it never kind of gives you like a direct answer um, for like how to like solve it, but it does tell you like, okay, you should kind of look at the map or you should, uh, you know, I would be more intrigued by this because I don't think this person did it, you know. So it was, so yeah, it was good nudging, mm-hmm. like all around just the, the interface of that was very player friendly mm-hmm. with 
the amount of inputs that you could have Correct. for any given envelope is what you're working your way through. It just really felt like they put some time and thought and effort into, hey, we don't want this to be insane. We, we want this to be helpful as you're processing and working through this cold case. So we're going to give you credit for any information that you do get correct. They don't tell you which piece of information you get correct, yep. but they let you know that you're on the right track. And I appreciated that because if it would have just said no, it would have been like, okay. <laughs> like, well, we'd play other games where you don't get that. Yeah, like, you don't get that. You just, you're like, okay, well, it wasn't these two things. I could be right. I could be wrong. And then you just, it's almost this guessing game of like trying to figure out if, we, if any of the information we had earlier was correct. And in this game, it clearly tells you like, yeah, you, you know, you tried the two items and you find out like after messing around that the map was the, you know, like a correct item. And yes. you're like, okay, that feels good. Now I can narrow everything else to work around that item. Right. And I just, I just think they didn't forget that this was a game, mm-hmm. right? Because in true crime, I feel like you're trying to sell on realism yep. and there is an element of that. But at the same time, you've got to remember these are people that just want to play a game in, in a limited time frame, most likely. Mm-hmm. And it it felt like throughout this whole experience that that was honored. Yeah. And I really, really appreciate that. And I think it speaks volumes to why this game is so popular. Mm-hmm. 100%. Zach, what was the last thing that we really enjoyed about this? The final thing we really liked was the smoothness of the puzzles and the narrative. So the narrative is well presented in the beginning to kind of explain what this case is about, who, you know, like why it's a cold case kind of gives you information about all the suspects so forth. And then the fun part is that the smoothness of the puzzles playing into it, it never felt like at any moment I was clearly trying to just do a puzzle or like read just a narrative. It felt like it all kind of flowed very well between each other, you know? So like every time we would solve something, we clearly got a cool narrative part that would go with it. Um, without it feeling like, oh, I, I learned nothing. I just did insert puzzle, right? Yes. And and I think that helped elevate the aha moments, mm-hmm. which these this was my favorite game in terms of crime aha moments. There were some pretty good ones. Like we got excited when we were piecing information together that got us to the solution. And there were times that I remember Zach would say like, uh, well, is so-and-so this and this? And I'm like, wait, I read that one second. And then, oh, look at that picture over there. And they thought through this very well in terms of how they wanted you to come to a conclusion, right? Because again, this is the crime genre, a lot of deductive reasoning. Mm-hmm. And it felt like in terms of quality of solve, Unsolved did a really great job. Mm-hmm. And that and that attributes to a lot of different levels. I wanted to ask you one more thing before we got into the room for improvement section mm-hmm. is that we did play two games. Yes. We played the Falcone file and then we played the Ashcroft file. Which did you like better? I have a definitive opinion on this and I was curious about yours. Which one I thought was better. Yeah. Like I, they're both really good. Like, mm-hmm. but I, I enjoyed one more and I thought we might dig a little into that first. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think the game I enjoyed the most was probably more Falcone. I'm in the same boat. The interesting reason why, though, is I think Ashcroft, um, I think that file was actually very well done, but I think the narrative and the kind of the the things you are trying to solve more in Falcone is more action-packed and kind of, like, intriguing. Cause it, it, but they're different files. Like, one is about, like, you know, uh, you know a spy... In the War II era, you know, that's a, a woman um, and kind of her 
her going through her normal life after coming home um, and the interesting factors of like, okay, well this happened, but now you have to figure out why. And it was kind of fun to figure out like, like the very first thing you're trying to solve is how something got somewhere. Cause I don't want to spoil anything. And you're like, Oh, and I was like, cause I asked that question. I was like, there's no way that could get there in yes. that time period. And I was like, this is intriguing. So we'd go down the road. The other one is, is very fun. And I thought, I think it's better overall in terms of like how it played and especially it's ending in my opinion. Um, but it's just, I think it's just theming. I think theming of Falcone was more in your face in terms of like adventure and excitement than Ashcroft's is. The, it was the historical aspect that you mentioned that that really stuck out to me. Yeah. Like the, even the way that we solved was different and authentic, you know, because that was set, what, in the 40s? So it's 1947. 70, 70 plus years later. And that play in the narrative plays in the fact and, that yeah, you're in modern day. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and that was like trying to like reverse engineer it in my mind. I'm like, that had to be difficult. And they yeah. nailed it. And it felt like they really nailed it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I want to talk us uh, some room for improvement okay. a little bit. One of the things that I felt in this game is I felt like there were not so I don't I don't have any major qualms with this game. Yeah, I don't think um, so either. We have a couple of things, but one of the things that I wish we would have seen that in talking to the creators, they're going to be doing some of this in future episodes. Mm-hmm. But it felt like there were missed opportunities for interactivity. Oh, agreed. And, and what I mean by that is when we were actually playing the Falcone case, there was a phone number. Yeah. In one of the files. And what is the first thing that Zach and I are going to do? I called it. We called the phone number. Yep. And what happened? Uh, nothing. Nothing. <laughs> and that's that. And that's what I'm saying. Like, that was not part of the game. It wasn't intended to be a part of the game. So no points against that. Yeah. But what it could have been better if there was something at the other end of that line. Well, it could have been cool because I don't remember the exact reason we were wanting to call it. But it would have been intriguing if, like, because it is in the past, like, if you call and it was, like, because there's some family of people that are involved in this, yes. like, you know, that are modern day to past. It'd have been cool to call and we got, like, some old person that's, like, related to the, you know, like, that was somewhat experienced with it and be able to call them or call one of the detectives. Yes. It would have been interesting to get some, like, narrative stuff through the phone line. Yeah, and it builds the world. Like, it's an immer- yeah. it's an immersion missed opportunity in my Agreed. book. Like, there was nothing wrong with the gameplay. Nope. But I re- I got excited about that because I've seen that in other games. And I think we just like that type of stuff. Like, mm-hmm. we are two people sitting at a table right now in a recording studio in a basement. Yep. When we get to bring in the outside world through these walls as much as possible we can that's always a win for us. Mm-hmm. So I think the more that unsolved puts those type of elements, email addresses that are emailing you back, phone calls, stuff on the internet, as long as it is in their vein of excellence and continues to build on it, I want to see more of that. Yeah. Uh, again, not like a huge critique a- against them, but just a missed opportunity that we felt like they could capitalize in the future. Okay. What, what else did we feel like there was some room for improvement? Yeah. The only other thing that I think we really thought of was the, kind of goes along with the hint system. Um, I think they do a really good job considering that you are playing a game and trying to, you know, like help you give hints as well as kind of giving the, the part we talked earlier about the answering, um, giving you like kind of nudges that you are correct. Um, the only thing it didn't do um, that we liked in other games in terms of like a tiered hint system is kind of giving you the answer. So if you did get truly stuck, you could just kind of get an answer and explain why. 
luckily for us, we didn't really need it as much, but it, you know, it could feel disappointing. I could understand for someone else if you went and you went through all three of the hints and they were just nudges and then you're stuck. And then you just have to do that awkward thing of like guessing all the different items until you start realizing one of them was correct. Right. It becomes process of elimination. Correct. That and that's not fun because at that point you're also wasting time just pressing buttons that you don't <laughs> actually have good information on to try to solve. Um, but that's like a really minor thing. Like I said, luckily for us, we really didn't need the hint system. I think we used one just to like mess with it. And we missed a couple of times, like the partial yeah. answering was helpful to us to say like, Oh, they were looking for this. Correct. Yeah. This. There were times yes. that we did not solve it correctly and we did have to use the, the partial answering. Yes. But I think we only used one actual hint. Yes. And it, and it was very helpful. Like I think yeah. it was constructed well. But that that's really it. This is this is a really clean game, mm-hmm. and I enjoyed it a lot. And coming up in our second section, this game specifically has inspired me, and we're going to be talking a little bit more about what to expect in crime games versus some of the other games. So if that is interesting to you, looking at different genres and what we should be expecting, hang on because we're coming right back with Puzzles to the People. Solve puzzles, write reviews, win prizes. It's time for Puzzles to the People. Hey, Zach. Jared, I'm not falling for this again. Oh, so what? Now you don't trust me? Correct. I don't trust you. Well, then do I have a game for you? What are you talking about? Floor 13 from CU Adventures. It's the story of a company with too much trust. But I don't trust you. Well, Zach, trust me on this. You need to head on over to cuadventures.com and play Floor 13 or their other game, The Lost Temple, and you will not be disappointed. Well, welcome back to Puzzling Company. We are now in the section that is called Puzzles to the People. This is an interesting section, to say the least. Uh, This changes every week, depending on how Jared decides he wants to do it. Um, But generally, it is discussing topics or answering questions um, that Jared usually presents to me, and I get to get to answer them, or we sometimes look at reviews, stuff like that. Um, But this is just a good back and forth between us to kind of discuss different questions, topics, all that kind of jazz. Oh, yes. And I love it, love it, love it. (sighs) Getting to torment Zach with questions that he usually answers really well. I don't know why you're always so afraid of this part of the conversation. I'm scared. So what I want to talk about today is a couple of things, Zach. Okay. One is I think it'll be super beneficial to our listeners to really help them understand what different companies are offering them so that they can select the best game for themselves. Okay. Right. Because then you can always start with what you want Mm -hmm. and then venture into adjacent waters. Right. Sure. I think some bad reviews and I think some of our less enjoyed experiences are because our expectations of what we were getting into weren't met. I think that's true Mm -hmm. of anything. Yeah. So that's one. The other thing is I want to compare and contrast it, this genre of game versus to what is usually the majority of what we cover, which is, a more puzzly, interactable, escape room style game. Mm -hmm. So those are the waters that we're delving into. I'm preparing you today. Okay. But I'm going to throw this at you, and I want you to agree or disagree with me. Okay. The three primary crime games that we have covered so far have been Killing Affair, Cold Case Crackers, and now Unsolved. We've played some other crime style games as a part of some subscription services, but that's not Mm -hmm. their mainstay. Yeah. So I want to treat those three things. Okay. What I have noticed is some similarities in them, but also some differences. Okay. And I want to throw what my interpretation of that is and see if you agree or disagree with it. Okay. 
Of those three, all of them, similarly, they're giving you case files, pictures, interviews, all of these different things. But the differences in them seem to be the amount of interactivity and puzzle solving that you would have to do. And here's what I mean by that. They're all primarily deductive reasoning crime games. But each of them has a level of interaction beyond that to invite you into different types of solving. What I would say is a killing affair does that the most. They gave us code breaking, uh, stuff to combine and look at spatial reasoning. Cold Case did that maybe once during the games. Unsolved didn't do it at all, is what I'm saying. Would you agree with that? Like, if we had to tell our listeners, if you want a more interactive game, go to a killing fair. If you want a true, raw, deductive reasoning, information, making uh, assumptions and working through those, go to Unsolved. Cold, Cold Case is somewhere in the middle. Is that fair? Is that a fair synopsis of the puzzle stylings of those three games? I, yeah, I think I agree. I think Killing Affair is definitely the one that had the most and actually had puzzles. Like, yes, like more like a traditional puzzle solving game where there was a bunch of things you got to actually do. Um, Yeah, and it is correct. And also in Cold Case, there was only one or two puzzles that we actually ever did. Yes. If I remember all three of the games we played or the cases. And then in this one, it was pure deductive reasoning. Um, yeah, I I completely agree. I have no counter argument to it. So within that, then did for you not not me, but for you, did any of those make the game more or less enjoyable? That's a really interesting question. I think having more puzzles involved definitely felt better in terms of like like having things to do, because I think deductive reasoning is something that I. I did quite well in like the, or I enjoyed it a lot in both cold case and killing affair and in the unsolved case files. I think unsolved it felt the best in terms of like my deductive reasoning felt really cool and like, well rewarded for doing it. Um, but I really did enjoy doing all of the different puzzles that were in a killing affair. I think cold case, unfortunately, in, in my opinion, looking at all three was kind of like the middle ground of both. It didn't do it crazily better than either but it but it was like a mix of both which was kind of nice um so like in my personal experience i really enjoyed the interactivity and killing affair and made it a lot better um and then i really liked the deductive reasoning kind of play style in falcone i it felt rewarding to try to ask those questions and solve them that they were kind of trying to present you and the narrative played really well into specifically unsolved i think unfortunately with cold case the reason it felt a little disappointing was my expectations for the game. I thought it was going to be, but that's like I said, it's a personal thing. I felt that I was, I was kind of hoping it'd be more like a killing affair Mm. when I, cause that was the second style we played. So, you know, that's kind of when I went into it, I thought maybe it'd be a little bit more at that had a little bit more puzzles and it didn't, it, it felt disappointing because you get a puzzle at the end, and I thought it was actually a really good puzzle in the in the train bomber one that we played. Yes. Um, but then when we went to the other two cases, it didn't show back up, really. So I was yeah. like, well, it shows up actually in uh, Fairlake Heist. One puzzle does, um, which I thought it was. But yeah, I, I guess it's just disappointing because it feels like I get one really good puzzle in each of those games, and then it doesn't show up ever again. Yeah, because I, I, I almost want to critique ourselves a little bit here because when we reviewed A Killing Affair, we talked so much about how we loved the different styles of puzzling. Yeah. And then 
I felt like we wanted to see more of it in cold case because they did present us with some of it. Yeah. But then in unsolved, there was none of it. And, but we were totally okay with that. So I feel like someone listening could say like, well, what are, what are you saying here? And I, I think what I'm saying is, and what I'm discovering is it, that the age old thing that we're talking about here is like, it was just done really well in killing affair. It was done really well in unsolved and cold case gave us tastes of each, but I wanted them to run with it more. Agreed. I think the other part, like you said, it, it's just personal thing. Cause just like anyone, no one here is going to have a perfect experience with any game, right? Cause everyone plays games in different orders. Yes. People play it at different times, you know? So, it, I mean, it's impossible because it, it very much sounds like, unfortunately that like cold case is like, in our opinion, the one that could have done more compared to the other two and how we're presenting it currently. Sure. But it, but it's potentially not true. It's just a, per, it's a personal opinion of like, we played one first, really got an idea of how it played, played another one that introduced us to the more pure, like deductive reasoning and expected something else, you know, just like any person will do. And then we went into a third one and expected the deductive reasoning and it was really good deductive reasoning. So it played totally fine to us because that's what we were expecting was that style. Yes. So what I would say then, and this is another agree or disagree to you is I would almost be tempted to tell people to play cold case first, specifically the train bomber game. Cause I think that was our favorite mm-hmm. uh, if we had to pick one, but play that first and think about what you really like, because we've only really scratched the surface of crime games, right? Like there's some major players out there Agreed. that are hopefully coming on the show in the future and some that have already committed to, mm. but just in looking at these threes, I just found it was so interesting that we had such a variety yeah. and, uh, and I wanted to say like, I would almost say, Hey, play cold case first. If you find that you like more puzzling, go play a killing affair. If you loved the raw crime, digging through information. Well, after you play a cold case, pick up an unsolved and you'll enjoy that a lot as well. And then figure out what you like. Is that a fair assessment? I agree. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with it. I think the fun part with having hindsight is to go back and be like, yeah, actually I think cold case would be a perfect intro because it would give you a mix of both and you would find what you liked more about it and then present that. And then, like you said, go to the other two games and get more. But if you want that specific thing, I think it's a very good idea to try cold case first. If you were to play these three, I would do cold case first and then figure which style you like more. So I want to transition now into talking about crime games versus a lot of the other games that we've played, right? Which feel way more diverse in their puzzling style, if you will. I want to contrast that a little bit because one of the interesting conversations that we talked about a little bit with the creators of this game is this isn't an escape room. Yeah. This, this experience, if, if that is your expectation coming in or, or looking for an escape room style game at home, that's not what you're looking for. I found it so fascinating and you'll hear a little bit of this of the, in the interview, these guys have never played an escape room. And to yeah. me, that's so adjacent that it's like, why, what? Like I was, yeah. I was shocked by that especially because they live in uh, one of them. Lou lives in the Tampa Bay market, and that's one of my favorite escape room markets to play in. Some of my favorite games are there. But talk to me about that. Like, what should you set your expectation in in playing a crime game versus what should you set your expectation in playing more of a puzzly, not that everything is escape room or crime, like those are your only two options. There's a wide 
uh, diversity of things above and in between that. How can we properly adjust ourselves before we play these games is my question. That is an interesting question. I would say that if you are looking to play more crime games or like crime style ones, like the cold cases, the detective types, I think you need to go in knowing that you are going to be trying to read a lot of information, deduct. It's it's a lot of deductive reasoning. It's a, and it's a lot of reading. It, you should go in being like, okay, I'm going to read a lot and have to try to make connections between items to see what feels off. That's what you should expect. Now, if you get puzzles in it and all that stuff, you might enjoy, but you should go in with that because that's what 90% of it is, right? If you're playing like a at-home table, tabletop experience or like escape room style, you should expect puzzles and like riddles Things that are interactive and require you to spend time to solve. Tangibility is Tangibility, another thing. Yeah. Is another thing that you don't really see a whole lot of in crime games. I think is well, fair. Correct. Like tangible puzzles. Correct. Not like the tangible is, items. Your tangible items are the is the material reading or the evidence. Yes. And sometimes you get physical evidence and things, but I'm talking about in terms of like you're not going to find a slidey puzzle. Correct. You're a, a rearranged puzzle. Items that require you to cut things out or fold things like that is. Because why would it be there? Like, yeah. um, unless you're, you know, the diabolical foldy puzzle serial Generally, killer. The general puzzles we run into when we did, like, that I would, I could see that could fit into this kind of genre would be like ciphers, because criminals could use ciphers to try to, like, if, if you're in a serial killer vein, correct. And yes. that's, and a lot of the games we play don't actually have a serial killer yes, vein. They're one offs. Yeah, but that's what I would expect. More is kind of more puzzles that require you not to be tangible with them, but to figure them out in terms of like, oh, I found a piece of evidence that has this weird writing on it. How do I decipher this? Or you know, like the serial killer types where it's like, oh, they have a cipher. Like you're trying to figure out this information while in other games, it is tangible items. Like how do I open this lockbox? How do I solve this four digit code? You know, so on and so forth. Yes. The other thing I would argue is there's more of a predictable narrative arc. Yeah. In, and that's just of the genre. You're trying to find the killer, the motive, maybe the weapon sometimes. Whereas the, narrative logic of some of these other games is more wandering or maybe you don't even know at the beginning what you're trying to do or to find in some of the tabletop games. Yeah. I mean, the point is that with detective or with the like case file esque style crime ones, you are clearly told what you are trying to achieve. It is who and why or how, you know, like it is, it's yeah. asking a question of how this happened and how to make that like, and all of the game is relating information to make that make sense. Yes, it's it's the difference between like they tell you what the means of how you're supposed to do what you're supposed to do and they just expect you to do it. Whereas in the other world, that is almost a part of the puzzle sometimes. Yes. Is how am I supposed to solve the puzzle and then solve the puzzle? This is, I'm going to tell you how to solve the puzzle, but it's oftentimes going to be very difficult and you're going to have to really search and think and reason to do it. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the big differences as well that we see. And I think that's honestly, I'll throw this out on a limb, hot take here. I think that's why I think the crime genre probably has more of a following because they know what to do. They're trying to figure out how to put it into that box. Whereas a lot of the frustrations that come in the escape room world is I have no idea what I'm doing. Somebody please tell me what to do. People like being 
I wouldn't say handheld is the right word. No, but, but they, it, they like a box to work in. Correct. It's like being told like, hey, this is your limitations and this is what you should try to do. And right. then you work around that. Like, because you clearly know my goal is to figure out who did it or why. Yes. It's very simple. But now the fun part is you get to make those connections to make that make, it's almost like doing like a, a theory in science. Like you, you're trying to prove your, you know, uh, your theory, but in like escape room style. Yeah. You clearly don't know what to do. The point is that you're in a space that you have no idea what to do in and then make connections. Yes. Which is why I like them. Yeah, I like I, that too. But they're different. Like there are people who clearly like, I mean, I have many people who come into, you know, like, when they come to escape rooms and they'll talk to us and they'll be like, I have no, they'll be like, this is my first time playing or, you know, talking about it. And I'll like, kind of give them some instructions or kind of talk to them about it. And then they'll play and they'll be like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Please help me for the love of God. Please tell me literally anything, you know, and you'll give them some instructions. You'll be like, yeah, like we'll actually give you like a starting hint or we'll talk you through it or literally just search. Because you just need to start finding things that are going to start making connections. Yes. And I I like that about that. That's one of the big differences between kind of what I would call subgenres mm-hmm. is you've got to decide that on the front end too is like, and I think it's just going to help us. It's going to help everybody out there thinking about what their preferences are. Michelle Runebachen from Society of Curiosities. Yep. Uh, we were chatting not that long ago. And what she told me and talking is like her, her type of game is something that she can sit down for an hour with and it resolves. Yep. And and that's her style of game. Mm-hmm. And she knows that. And because of that, she can pick the games that she likes. But also when she breaks out of that, she knows that all parts of the games that she doesn't like aren't bad. Mm-hmm. It's preference. It's, what's, it's, it's what we're talking it's about. Preference. It's personal preference. Yeah. So I think we just want to build in this section today just some self-awareness. Like ask yourself what you honestly like. And then when you run into something in a game that you don't like, ask yourself, is this objectively just bad or is this just me? And if you can say that it's, oh, it's just me, I think you'll actually like the game more. You'll actually like the puzzle better because it takes the impetus off of them having to impress you back of the format to say like, oh, this is just me. Like, I'm I'm not good at X. And that's okay, but th- that's the type of puzzle I ran into. But I, that's not a scathing, horrible thing with the game because mm-hmm. of my personal preference. And that'll help you set your expectations. And for us personally, that has made our gaming experience a lot richer. Yeah, I I, I went on vacation recently, and that was like, I was telling Jerry when I got back, one of the most fun parts was thinking about Puzzling Company and how, like, over my trip, I just thought of every game. And I really tried to ask that question of, like, was it really, like, as good as I made it to be in my head or as bad in my opinion, or was it like something that I didn't enjoy? And then really asked those questions like, and looked at all the games and I was like, yeah, every game I can find something that I genuinely enjoyed and some things I didn't, but it doesn't mean that the game was bad because of it. It's more that I just found preferences. Yeah. And that's been the fun part of like listening to our episodes over time is like we, you can hear us say those things. Like you can clearly tell when you start listening, like we try to give everything a, a fair uh, right. evaluation, which we do. We try our best to do that, but you can clearly tell like, Oh, this is Zach style game. This is clearly like Jared style. And uh, you know how we get to see that fun interaction of us trying to sure answer that. Objectivity is a great goal, but hardly ever reached correct for humanity. And we do our best to try to toe that line, but you know, we're players with personalities too. Yep. And that comes out and we hope that you guys enjoy that. But that's really going to wrap us up for this section. We just wanted to bring that to light as we have found ourselves having really fun and in-depth conversations as we have tackled more of the crime genre. Mm -hmm. 
And we hope that you have those questions too, because there's some really great crime games. The one we played today, we really enjoyed, but expectation setting is important when switching in between subgenres of games. Mm. That's going to wrap us up for this section. Hang on for questions for creators coming right at you. There are some awesome people who make the puzzles we love to solve. This is Questions for Creators. All right, Zach, pick a card, any card. Dude, we are supposed to be doing an ad right now. Okay, I know. Just just be cool, Zach. You know I always wanted to be a magician. I don't think this is the right time or medium for a magic trick. But okay, I've picked a card. Okay, look at it and don't tell me what it is. And how's the audience going to know what card this is? Just... Just be cool, man. I just got this new Enigmas card deck, and I just wanted to show you a new trick I've been working on. Oh, Jared. I'm sure your trick's going to be great, but there's something you don't know about that deck. Okay. I see what's happening. Uh Yeah. Okay. What? You think you're a better magician than me. You think you know more about this deck of cards than I do. You're trying to heckle me and usurp the great Jared Zini. Jared, Jared, Jared. Well, I did back the project on Kickstarter, and I've been playing the puzzle game hidden inside. There's actually a full puzzle hunt you can discover. I imagine you got those over at davidkwongmagic.com. Nice try, Zach, but a magician never reveals his secrets. Magician's code. Well, if you're looking for an amazing experience from a real magician... I'm sitting right here. Then head over to davidkwongmagic.com and pick up Enigma's puzzle hunt playing cards. Welcome back to Puzzling Company. In this section of the show, we get to interview people, often creators. We've been jumping back and forth between that a lot. If you listened, I believe it was an episode or two ago, we had a distributor, president of a distribution company on. But today we're right back at it with creators. And today we have a duo, Uh uh, which uh, mixing it up a little bit. Uh, I'll let them introduce themselves in a second, but just really enjoyed their point of view They have grown such a really cool company. One of the companies that's in our space that is pushing out tens of thousands of copies of games and doing it all themselves, fulfilling themselves. And we're going to dig into that a little bit, but let's hop right into it. Want to hear from both of these gentlemen today. So who are you guys, where are you from and what's your company? I'll go, I'll go, Lou. Uh, my name is, my name is John Carroll and I'm also, also joining Jared here today is Lou Wilson. So we make a game called Unsolved Case Files, which is, it's like a cold case that uh, players can solve and they go through a series, they go through a progression where they're like actually being the detective in the case. Um, and that's what, uh, we started the business about three years ago, uh, but originally Lou and I, we went to high school together in Syracuse, New York, and um, that's really how we've known each other. We became friends in 10th grade um, in Miss Toomey's class because Lou would always do stupid things that would get him in trouble, and I thought it was really funny to laugh at, and uh, you know, before, before long, we had a nice little relationship where he would do something and get in trouble, and I would laugh and encourage it. And, um, and that was kind of how we did things. But, but then what happened is, um, you know, we graduated high school, kind of went different ways. We've always been in contact, but we started up probably about three years ago from right now. Uh, we started a new business where we were just trying to invent new things uh, that we could sell on Amazon. And we had a few things that did not sell too well. And then eventually we stumbled upon this one product, which is the one that basically our whole lives and businesses revolve around right now, which is Unsolved Case Files. But yeah, that's that's the background of, of who we are. I'm sure we'll go into more detail, but 
Um, that's who we are. And, and right now, uh, one more detail is that we both live in Florida, although Lou lives in Tampa and I'm on the other coast in Miami. Um, but, uh, but we are upstate New Yorkers. Uh, that's where we come from and that's where our roots lie. So what did you guys try before Unsolved? And then how did you guys actually end up here? Wow. That's a, that's a, there's a long path there. Although it, it actually happened pretty quick. Originally what happened is I had an idea for a card game that would help poker players learn the odds as they were playing. And what happened is I was actually teaching my, my little girls who at the time were like five and eight, maybe I was teaching them how to play poker. And I was thinking to myself, boy, it'd be cool if the cards could teach you something like as you're playing them, like for when you're practicing poker, you, you could get smarter. And so we made this product called odds on cards that you might still be able to sell it. I don't know, but it was cards and it kind of, it was like training type thing. But I remember I reached out to Lou and I was like, I don't know, this just seems like a funny idea and I'm not going to do it by myself, but if you want to give it a shot, we'll do it together. And so we did, we joined up and we made this product and we sold some of them and it kind of worked. And then one day Lou was like, John, let's just keep doing it and let's never quit. Let's not ever, ever quit until we hit that product on Amazon that explodes and the funny thing is, until that day when he said that, I was always kind of thinking, all right, I guess this card thing, you know, maybe we can make an extra four or five grand a year. Like, what's the harm in it? But that day when he said to me, let's not stop, let's find the thing that works. That was kind of like, I feel like that was a really big starting point because it changed it from this idea of, you know, we've got one idea that we're going to shoot for to this idea of we're not going to stop until something hits. And if we hadn't hit on this unsolved case files, we'd probably be 20 projects deep into this now. And, you know, we'd still be waiting for, for unsolved case files to, to come about. But yeah, so we made, we made those cards. We got really into making things on cards because it's, it's affordable because all you need to do is graphic design and you can get people to make you these cards and send them from China or wherever for like a dollar a piece. So it's, it's a good it's a good thing for anybody who's interested in games like cards is awesome because you can sell a deck of cards for 10 bucks. And even if you don't have good production capabilities, you can still make a profit off of it. Even if you're paying five bucks per deck. So we did a few different things, put a lot of things on cards. And that was kind of like, we, we were, we would always laugh at ourselves. Like we're just, we're card people. That's what we're always going to be. And we would joke, like, how can we sell a pen on cards? Like maybe a, a writer might want a pen. At some point, we started noticing that there's like a lot of people buying things about serial killers on the internet. And so we had this idea uh, that came from another partner of ours at the time about making cards that were focused on serial killers. So like a deck of cards, but each card is like Ted Bundy or whoever else is in there. And me and Lou were both really hesitant about this idea. And I remember one night I was sitting up and I was thinking about it and I was like, I don't want to. It, don't, it just kind of hit me like, I'm not going to make something that glorifies uh, somebody that, that murders somebody because these serial killers, they have living victims that are still alive today. And that's pretty nasty to think that we might be trying to make a profit off of glorifying these bad guys. And, and that thought brought me into this idea of, well, maybe we could do something to help people like solve crimes. Like maybe we could, and, and Lou and I both have a good graphic design background. So so I was thinking, well, what if we made like, like cases, like the people who are into this kind of stuff, like what if we made unsolved cases? And then maybe if we made a bunch of these and people liked them, it, it might lead to a case getting solved someday. Um, that was my thought. 
but you know, like every thought, things evolve as you go through it. And and over time, I recognized that there was probably more opportunity to have fun and touch people if we made our own story that you actually could solve. And so it's actually kind of cool because there's a lot of people that are big fans of the true crime world. But, um, and I, I think one of the things that appeals to everybody is this idea, like maybe I'll know something that nobody else catches and I'll solve this crime that's on TV you know, or whatever. Um, and we just took that idea that nobody gets to experience and we turn it into a game that everybody who buys it gets to experience at least three times, because as you go through our case, there's three different, you know, puzzles that you have to solve. And there's three different moments where you say, holy cow, I just proved that why this guy's wrong or, or something like that. So you mentioned at the last part of that, that you were wondering if people would uh, solve a crime or if, if that would actually come to fruition, has it, I'm, I'm super curious about that. Like, has somebody actually solved the cold case as a result of the game and they've taken that and gone and looked at cold case or do you have any other cool stories that have come from that? That's a, that's a good question. I have an answer, but it's probably not the answer you're expecting because we've had a lot of people who come back to us and say, Hey, I'm training for my sergeant's exam. And I just want to say how helpful your games were. And I'll tell you, Jared, that, that blows my mind because I'm just making this stuff up. Like it would be like if somebody said to you, you're an escape room guy, Hey, I'm training to be a, a super uh, magician and I'm using your escape rooms. You would be like, really? Is it that good? Okay. I guess so. So, so we've had a number of, of those kind of instances where, or people say, Hey, I'm studying criminology in college and this is the closest thing I've ever gotten. And I, I'm doing all your cases to help me pass my tests. And we're kind of like, well, just don't blame us if, you know, if you flunk, because we're just making a game. <laughs> you know, um, We've had people that have uh, reached out to us and they, they'll reach out to us because they have asked their significant others to marry them inside of our game. Like we got one of those within the first like month or two. And I remember we were just, our minds were blown. Like we had one guy who he made up his own version of our game for his fiance and he kind of used it to get her like, it was like a thing to ask her to marry him. And he recorded on video and it's all set to like music and it's beautiful. The first time I watched it, Jared, I was crying, man. Like when she says yes, like I got tears running down my face. I was losing it. And, um, and the funny thing is that like at the end of the video, <laughs> see, he made a fake case file for her and she's kind of going along with it. And then he asks her to marry her and they're hugging and they're embracing it. And, and the guy says, and by the way, actually your real case file came today too. And she stopped hugging him and like, and she turned towards the camera and she was like so much more excited <laughs> that the actual case file got there than that he had just asked her to marry her. And, and it's, it's really funny. We never shared that video. I, so I know that's not really the question. Like, have we solved any cold cases? No, I don't think so. But we may have helped some people um, connect better with their friends. And maybe we've helped some people maybe with the way that they have to think for their jobs or something to, to get a, a test passed. Walk us through the emotions and the stories of launching your product. Like, how did that feel to get all that launched? For myself, there, you know, and I'm sure John, there was it wasn't really emotional, Jared, just because, um, at least initially, because it was just another product that we were going to do, and we, I was working on a different project at the time, so my focus was in that. 
And John was actually working on a different project at the time. And we stopped to create this case and we both were working on it. And then we handed it back to John and I just kind of went on with something else, looking at our sales numbers for other products that we're doing. So it wasn't like we've ever, we're like, this is it. This is going to kill it. It wasn't even like that. It was, it was almost like more of a surprise, I think. I will say that the funny part about this is that we made like 14 or 15 of them. We sent them to Amazon and, you know, we're refreshing that Amazon page, looking for those reviews. You're like, when is this review going to come in? We can really see what we have. And the first review came in and it was a one star. <laughs> you know what I mean? it, was a t- it was a review about, um, I think the, the original one that we did just had a lot of grammatical errors and just, you know, things that it, it wasn't as tight because we just, Again, we weren't putting too much focus in it. We didn't know if anybody would buy them. We just made right. 14. We made 15, but I I cut my finger and bled all over one of them. And I thought about sending it to Amazon because I thought, well, maybe it'll just look authentic this way. It's, I'm, it's really nasty, but but that's how little we expected anything to happen. And actually, because, Jerry, we already had these other products out, we, well, with our other products, we had found that if you don't put some ads behind it, then nobody's going to even see it. And so... With these, we actually, it caught us by surprise. I don't know if you remember, Lou, but we sent them in and we're like, all right, well, as soon as Amazon gets them, then we'll set up some advertising for it. And we we didn't even have to do ads. They just sold out. Like people just found them. It was a brand new product. And that was the moment when we knew for a fact that all of our other ideas were not that good and that this one was good. But it wasn't until we really found out. And I think there's a good lesson there, which is, you know, I mean, it's good to keep grinding and pushing things out there, but... You can't be afraid to put out something that, you know, might not work. Yeah. And then after that, we, uh, we, we made that 14 and, uh, and then we started just shipping supplies to our homes, just like everyone else in our garage or in our kitchen. I had a pregnant wife at the time and, and, you know, we, we were making these cases, we're sending them in like in a hundred batches, you know, a hundred case files at a time. And, uh, and that's kind of how it went for a little while until we had one woman that just shared her experience on Facebook. And it wasn't even like a huge influencer. She had like 300 friends. It was nothing. And then things just exploded. And that was really exciting. And the moment that I'll never forget is that I remember just kind of waking up and, you know, looking at our Amazon, you know, seller central and we sold out when we, we sold like 80 of them or whatever it was. And I'm like, I can't believe we sold out 80 of them. And then I was looking at the Facebook page and when, and we went from 21 likes to like 25,000 likes and just all of this stuff was happening. And it, it, it was, you know, all these comments after comments, after comments, like, where can I get them? Where can I get them? Where can I get them? And it, at that moment, we both knew it, we, this was very exciting but we have a huge uphill battle with production and how we're going to handle that. Cause we can't just send supplies for a hundred cases to our home anymore because the demand is just so much higher. So how did you guys land on doing everything yourself when this thing started to boom? Cause my initial thing would, I've got to outsource printing, shipping, all of these things. But for the most part, from what I understand, you guys have really handled it yourself. How did you guys come to that conclusion and how has that been? Well, first of all, we're just confident guys and, and we like that type of challenge. And, and we said, you know, this is a paper product. We can do this, you know, um, and, and, the, and the actual case file went through a series of, of developments in terms of our packaging and our and, and what's in it, it of improvements as we went along. 
but we were pretty confident that we could do it ourselves. And so that's kind of where, where, where we went. It wasn't even in our head to get an investor or to look for, for help in that way. It, we, we weren't even thinking that really, we were just thinking we have to just meet this demand and how we're going to do it with what we have now. And, and that's kind of, you know, how it was. So yeah, um, what I- What I'll add to that is that here's the fundamental difference, I think, between us and the way that a lot of people approach things is that we were going to do it ourselves from the beginning. That was always the plan. So if we had an idea for something that we couldn't do ourselves, we just went to the next idea. So, you know, that's why we were making all these card things, because we had a company in China that would make us cards. So we just kept trying it. In my former life, I used to build websites And one of the things that I've noticed is that a lot of times if you're clever with your capabilities, it's better to be clever with your capabilities than to be a really good programmer. And I think that's where, I don't know if this analogy is too, too much of a stretch, but every time we make decisions, we try to think, how can we be clever and do this ourselves as opposed to saying, oh, this is the only way it'll work. It has to be done from a big factory. And I, you know, I think a lot of people, that's where they, they quit on their ideas is they're like, oh, you know, like, yeah, this is a great idea, but I could never do it myself and I'll never get the money. And it's like, well, then think of a new idea or shift that idea to something you can do yourself. But I think for us, we didn't even really think about that because that was, that was always the plan. That was all we were doing was making our own stuff. What's the future of Unsolved? That's a really good question. I think we struggle with that same question ourselves. And part of that is, you know, it's part of, it's kind of the story that you've already heard is that for like the first two years, the only problems we ever had was making enough. Um, And so, you know, we kind of got used to this time period where we were not ever really thinking beyond a week ahead. And, And we've only really just broken through the clouds and, you know, in the past six to 12 months or so where we've got our production in line that we can actually sit back and kind of think about that some more. And it's tricky because we're not exactly sure what direction things are going to go, but we spent a lot of time just building our product. And I think we're, we're going to spend a lot of time now that we're, we, I mean, we have seven products that are for sale. Um, two of them are in the stores at Walmart and Target Uh, All seven of them are are for sale in Amazon. So I I think one thing we want to do is try to engage our our audience a bit more um, and and try to spend a little bit more time getting the word out there and and trying to do marketing things that can be helpful. Um, So for our social media channels lately, we've been um, just making a lot of games, things that people like that people that like to play games and do puzzles and solve things, the type of things that they would like. Um, we've been, we've just been working on a lot of that type of stuff. And I think that we want to keep innovating. We want to keep up with, keep coming up with new ideas of ways that we can make solving, you know, a murder, a more interactive experience. Um, but it's, uh, it's tricky, you know, because when you're winning a game, when you win in, um, when you win in a football game and you're running the ball, you don't just start throwing bombs downfield. You keep running the ball, you know, and I think we've been doing that, but we are at this point now where we're, we're, we're trying to zoom back and see the bigger picture. Um, but it's a challenge because for so long we haven't had to, and it's, it's a great question. It's one that we have to spend a lot more time offline <laughs> discussing, I think, but Lou, I don't know. What do you want to add to that? We're just in the process now of translating our, our Ashcroft case to Spanish and French. So we're starting to dabble into that, get different languages 
Yeah. So, I mean, it's kind of exciting. It opens up a new market for us and a whole new audience, we're, we're hoping. So we'll see how that goes. We really love the aha moments in your game. How do you go about creating them? How did you think about them when you first started Unsolved versus to the content that you're producing now? At first, it was easy. And then it got really hard. And I think with time, it's starting to get easier. And I would say maybe it's kind of like a, a, like a music band that does their first album and they didn't even really care about it. And they just made some awesome, amazing thing that, that blows your mind. And then their sophomore album is kind of like, oh, that's, you know, it's not that good. And, you know, we felt that way. Our second case, it's my least favorite. And we even had to rewrite it. It, it didn't come out very good at the beginning. Um, so I think we struggled through the sophomore years but I think we've gotten to a point where we, we have a really good idea about what it takes. Like I, I could probably talk about a whole episode about what makes a good aha moment. Um, because for every one that makes it into our game, there was probably a hundred that just couldn't work or they, they broke somewhere else. Um, but basically that, you know, the best stuff is when we can get people to see something that once they see it, they say to themselves, how did I miss that the whole time? And then they can never not see it, you know? So, you know, like those pictures that are like, once you see it, you know, whatever, that's kind of how we try to make our best twists. Um, and it's gotta be accessible. It has to be something that 90% of the population, after they see the answer, they're gonna say, well, that was reasonable, okay. But yet at the same time, it can't be something that somebody can just stumble upon. So it's really tricky. And the way our game works is we take players through three separate objectives in the case. And we have to be sure that the answers for the second objective are not accessible in, at the beginning, because if you solve it out of order, you're going to mess everything up. So there's levels of intricacy in there that are just really, really complicated. And I think we've gotten a little bit better at it, but it's still a, they're tough to put together, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Very tough. But, but the process is in the process, which some listeners might be interested in. It's weird. I mean, me and Lou, will talk about twists and then I'll talk about it with the writer, um, talk about it with other people. Um, you know, we have a list. I was actually just on it earlier today. We have a list of twists that we think are really good, but we couldn't fit them into an actual scenario that we've been working on. And the list is 98. Like we have 98 of those things. And a lot of them aren't that great, but I'm telling you the truth. Like we, we're, we're looking through that list of 98 twists right now, working on something, um, a new project. So another big question I think you guys would really like to answer is what do we attribute to the success of these types of games? We know that like different types of like cold case files, these like crime-based ones are all really booming right now. Um, and they've been pretty crazy with how many, you know, seeing the numbers of how many people buy these types of games. So what, what really is the reason or some of the things that add to the success of that? You know, there's, I think there's a lot of different answers, uh, especially right now we're, you know, in the midst of it's, uh, it's July as a recording is July, 2021. America is trying to emerge out of coronavirus. And I think that we got a lot of help as horrible as this situation has been. And it really has been, there's no doubt about it. Um, but it did bring a lot more people, I think, home and looking for things to do at home. It's been, I'm sure that it's not good for the escape room community, the complete opposite, I'm sure. But, um, but we have been, we have benefited from that, but the actual psychology of like, why do people like true crime stuff is very interesting to us. Um, and, 
you know, one thing that we've seen is that, you know, a majority of our audience is women. It's a lot more women than men. However, it seems like they might just be the ones who instigate it. The guys still like to play it. It's just that um, <clears throat> I think in general, women are a little bit more interested in the true crime, so they might get exposed to it sooner. But I think that anytime you have uncertainty and uncertainty throughout our culture in terms of what is the future going to look like, you know, um, and it's just a way that culture is working right now with the advent of social media and journalism and everything. It's just like fear mongering is everywhere. Um, and I think that, I think that there's something people are attracted to in the crime where it's, uh, knowing that you can solve it. You know, it makes you feel like everything in my world might be spinning apart, but actually this little game, I can fix it tonight. And that guy got thrown in jail for the wrong reason and I can get him out. And, um, you know, so I think that it's, it's, you know, it, it offers comfort. I, I think true crime binging or whatever, I think it offers comfort when there's some deep down insecurity about, you know, whatever's going on, but maybe that's too deep. <laughs> there's also, there's another factor. It's a little bit more local, but uh, there's a factor of wanting to close every open loop. So when you go through social media and you see articles that are like the five words that Jeff Bezos says to signify that he's emotionally intelligent or something like you hear that and you're just like, well, what are those five words? Like, I need to know what those five words are because that's just the way the human brain works. And so I, I've found with our game that like once people kind of get exposed, if you give them an open circle, then it's almost like, sorry, but you're going to have to, you're just, you're going to have to close it now. And that's your problem. <laughs> so I think that, um, I think that that's something people really like about escape rooms and just any of that stuff is that, um, that idea. Where is the narrative inspiration for your games coming from? You know, the first one that we did, um, the inspiration, uh, Lou actually came up with the plot on that one. And you want to tell us where it came from, like what the character is and where it came from? Well, uh, in the Ashcroft case, the victim is a psychologist, a uh, children's psychologist, you know, and, and actually what happened was my wife is a psychologist. So she came home and, and we were talking a little bit and, uh, it was it was more like man you you might have a lot of people that would be interested in murdering you. <laughs> 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 like, who, who, what do you have? You know what's going on? Or this guy have our home address? And um, and so it, it kind of you know revolved around that. And so um, like I said, we, we've been talking about the first case was easy. It, it, it just all came naturally. And. Uh, and, and as you start progressing, it, it's the second case was enormously di difficult in terms me, me and John were on the phone for hours and hours and hours just before we even had a pen in our hand. And we did it and it sucked. And then we had to go back and fix it and it still sucked. And then we had to go back and fix it again. I mean, it was, and then the third one came a little easier, but once we started getting four and five, it, you know, th this, this plot or story is, it's less important than how the twists develop, you know, and a lot of times with this type of game that the whole thing, I remember John and I, uh, we, we were doing the Falcone case. It's based in the 1940s. And with that particular case, we said, Hey, listen, you know, I was really pushing John. I was like, I think an older case would be cool. And, you know, we're kind of talking about it and, but we still don't have a case. It doesn't matter what the plot is because anything could be a plot. This conversation and this zoom call can be a plot. So you, you really, 
you, you know, we were, t- you know, we we're trying to beat, you know, do it. And then all of a sudden we, we me and John went to New York for a conference and we were, we were there and we were, you know, for about, you know, three days, we're really trying to come up with this 1940s case and, and really working all these angles and trying to come up, could not come up with a, a, a single twist. And it was absolutely the most frustrating thing. And then all of a sudden we're in the plane going home and we're on the descent. And then John boy goes, I think I got it. <laughs> and he's, he said a twist that completely just opened up the whole, whole case. And then from there, the second and third twists are a lot easier. And then the whole thing quickly got developed. And a lot of times that's how these, these happen. So a lot of our decisions about the new, the new plot also kind of, it's, we've gotten to the point where it's kind of like, okay, what's, what's a, where's there a vacancy in what we're doing now? Um, so it's a little bit different for us now than it was before, because I think now we're looking like if, if we're going to make a new product, we want it to fill a void. Maybe that something else isn't, whether it's a, you know, something that people be interested in or, um, a time you know, period or time period yeah, right? Yeah. or character profession. And a question we ask everyone, what else are you guys playing right now? That can be, you know, at home games that can be escape rooms. That can be video games, board games. What are you guys playing? What would you recommend? Well, I'm fishing. <laughs> and if I'm not fishing, if I'm playing a game, you know, you know, I just grew up playing Jim Rummy and Pitch Spades. So I'm more of a card guy than uh, than kind of a, a crime solving kind of. You know, it, it's just not something that I would I would normally do. Um, but but that's me. What about you, John? I, I, I'm not really a game guy either. So, which is, which is really unusual that we're here having this three-way conversation, but I have, uh, there's a few games. I've played a, a game called shit happens with my, that my kids play. Um, and I didn't even know how it worked or anything. And I, I've met the guy who, who wrote it and designed it and everything, but I actually never really gave it a shot until the other day I saw the kids out and I was like, well, what is this? And I was like, actually, this is a pretty cool game. Um, and, uh, other games, I don't know, like my kids play like Xbox video game kind of stuff, but um, I can't think of anything else unless it's games that 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 we make up. Although we were playing, we were playing this game last night with my family that the kids were playing at camp. You have to go around like wink at people. And if you wink at them, then they die. <laughs> and, um, you know, the kids were telling me about it at dinner last night. And I was like, all right, after dinner, we got to we got to play this game. So for about a half an hour, we did that winking game. Yeah, we we had a pretty good time um, doing it. And my littlest kid is like six. He didn't really get it at first. But once he got it and he walks around, he gives you a sly little wink from your six year old. You're like, all right, my man, like nice, <laughs> nice murder right there. <laughs> Guys, thanks so much for being on the show, taking some time. It's just really interesting learning about what you guys are doing and the angle that you're taking. We hope to have you guys on as some of those projects that you talked about come on in the future and just want to say thanks so much. Yes, thank you, thank you. That's going to wrap it up for us today, guys. If you're interested in Unsolved Case Files, best place to honestly find them is just to search that on Amazon. That's the easiest place to distribute from for them as well. Uh, You can uh, find them on Facebook, shoot them a like, ask them a question. Same thing with us. If you want to connect more with us, we would love that. You can hit us up, contact at Puzzling Company, hit us up on Facebook. Uh, We would love to get to talk to you about games or if you're a creator out there and you'd love to get on the show, hit us up. We'd love to talk to you about what we can do to get you on the show. Shoot us a like. The biggest thing that you can do to help us is actually putting our podcast on a regular download and that would just mean the world for us. 
Zach, you got anything else you want to add when we're closing up here today? No, um, I just want to say thank you for all the support from everyone. Yeah. It's been really nice. Um, it's it's fun every day to get to check the analytics and check out all the stats of everything. But also we get a lot of really nice messages and, you know, people who have comments or concerns and get to really like deep dive into them and kind of learn more about our community, but also ourselves. Yeah, uh, we really do appreciate that. This, this has been really fun so far. We're over six months into this worth of episodes, and that's really exciting. And next week, we've got more exciting stuff, Zach. You know what we're diving into next week? Okay, I'm going to be honest. I don't know if I'm excited for this. <laughs> what? Not Okay, I should say that not in terms of like I'm not excited to play it, but it's really creepy. It is very creepy, but... I'm pumped to play it just because of the reputation that this game has in our community. I mean, I built it and it's, I'm looking at it in the corner now and I don't know if I should cry or not. Nope. If some little child starts talking outside that cursed dollhouse, I'm going to burn it. (laughs) The question is, would it go up in flames? Please don't. I don't want to <laughs> Please find out next week if I burn down the burn the cursed dollhouse. Yeah, next week we are we are going to be tackling the cursed dollhouse. If you don't know, this game has a really interesting reputation of being one of the more difficult mass market games that has ever been produced, and we're excited to play it and to talk about that and to talk about that very fact with the creators themselves. Mm-hmm. So thank you guys for Jared and Zach. This is Puzzling Company. See you guys. Thanks for listening. Find us on social media at Puzzling Company and online at puzzlingcompany.com. Check back weekly for new episodes. Until next time, keep puzzling. This has been a Globe Media Network Podcast.